Welcome to What's Korean Cinema episode 25 on the Aimless Bullet. Yet another best Korean film ever. Uh, well, let's go to work. <laughs> let's go to podcast work. They don't stack up that uh, that high, but uh, the, there are a few movies we've covered that uh, bear that uh, title, that status from uh, critics. But uh, in all seriousness, oh, one half of What's Korean Cinema like to single out the movies that shaped its current era... Uh, the era of its time, the current era, and uh, and yeah, we have the Korean Film Archive to thank uh, for a lot of these uh, opportunities to cover what's uh, what's uh, what's the influences from yesteryear that can be tracked back to today, if you will. But uh, that is all a long-winded way of saying this episode covers 1960s, the aimless bullet. Uh, that's the discussion piece and review for this episode, a movie that is a few more steps closer to lost than uh, that that with you know it's not a comfortable thing to say the best korean movie ever and it's almost lost but uh, we have it preserved in one type of shape even if it's not pristine shape so we should obviously be thankful uh, for that but uh, uh, all those details and more uh, to come and with me too Discuss, and I'm Kenny B, by the way, and with me to discuss uh, all of this, as always, is Korean cinema expert, and I, I made him totally shame, sh- become like feel shame shivers expert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he is Paul Queen of Hangouts.com, nonetheless. How are you, buddy? I'm very well, and uh, shivering at that expert thing. I'm a guy that watches a lot of Korean film. Let's stick it at that. Well, that's that's a status, I guess. You watch the most, <laughs> or something. I don't know. I hope so. I hope so. A guy that has watched so many movies that he either missed or couldn't or will review the aimless bullet on his own site. What's up with that? It it all comes down to this greatest Korean film ever made. Ah, p- pressure? <sighs> Not really. You know, I, I've constantly felt I really need to review that. I really need to get it on with all the other ones. And there's always another Golden Age film that just grabs me and I, I i want to review you know much more than wanting to review aimless bullet and it just hasn't happened it's out there though so i mean it's uh, it's gonna be timely no matter if you do it Something. on christmas eve 2018 or in the middle of summer of the following year it's it's gonna be out there like it's preserved as i said in one shape in one shape now and a watchable shape so it's not like it's gonna slip out of your grasp Totally. And, you know, I am aware that I should be doing it. But as I said, there's always something that grabs me more. And that sort of gives away my feelings in general. But we'll talk a little bit more as we go in. Well, well, we'll uh, get going then after some brief contact information. And this is What's Korean Cinema. We're going to try and answer it in our own special way, I suppose. Uh, but uh, this show is available on podcastonfire.com along with other shows on Hong Kong cinema, Japanese cinema, Sleazy cinema, Ninja cinema. And we do audio commentary sometimes. And uh, this is our uh, show devoted to uh, Korean cinema, old and new or newish. Because the, the episode in the movie and the episode following this is. Uh, 13 years old by now so it's it's a uh, per definition quite old i think yeah but uh hey it's uh it's valid cinema nonetheless to cover uh, we also have bonus episodes available on the website email us if you have any questions or feedback uh, about this show or other things uh, podcast on fire at googlemail.com join us over on uh, social media uh, via the handy buttons at the top of our website uh, one leads to facebook uh, to our page specifically you can also get to our facebook uh, discussion group that way follow show updates and uh, we'll discuss uh, movies and things in a very pleasant and uh, 
and uh, mature and uh, yeah, we essentially behave, which is uh, rare on the internet. I'm not saying we're very special. I just make it my mission to let's behave. That's not uh, like uh, this is the best Korean film ever. No, this is the best Korean film ever, and then the expletives come flying. No, uh-uh. not having any of that. Like, is there any space on social media you have uh, uh, like fallen fallen into where people argue like school children about Korean cinema, or people people pretty much behave when it comes to Korean film? They pretty much behave. The one film that springs to mind that there was a argument: you're right, you're wrong. You're was a film we did in a podcast. A couple ago, I think, lies. There was a lot of talk about that, whether it was superb or whether it was a travesty, and, and there was no in between. It was quite, it was quite brutal in time at times, and and and, and therefore people can be like, "Well, you're a pervert." <laughs> that really was a part of it. And shortly after I reviewed lies, I actually gave a talk at a university on adult content in Korean cinema, and I did it. Because of the, oh, oh, you're watching pervy films, you know what I mean? It was so adolescent. Hey, hey, have you heard of the Swedish guy? He watches pervy films. Well, exactly. You know, it was it was so childish that I eventually, I just stepped away from it and it sort of died down. That's the only thing I really remember. Mostly people are pretty cool and they'll accept your opinion in with theirs. Yep. It comes down to that, Paul, you're not right. But Paul, hey, I'm not right either. Yeah, well, exactly. None of us are right. We all have opinions, you know. That's yeah, what it comes exactly. down to. Well, uh, regardless, uh, you can uh, click the button and follow. Uh, that will lead you to our Facebook uh, presence. Uh, you can click a button leading to our Twitter feed uh, as well as to our iTunes feed, which you can subscribe to, rate, and leave a comment on if you have something to say about uh, the podcast on Fire Network or watch Korean cinema. And finally, click the Stitcher Radio button. That will lead you to their website, and you can find our shows over there you are able to stream them from there. But you can also do so if you download the application that is uh, free, uh, the Stitcher Radio 1, and you can find that on the Apple App Store and Google Play. And I review Hong Kong movies and Taiwanese movies uh, of uh, certain specific eras from both uh, those uh, territorial countries, but uh, I got a plethora of uh, genres in uh, long review form or quick review form over at SoGoodReviews.com. And my little video hub for uh, spoken audio video reviews set to sloppily edited movie clips is SleazyKVideo.com. And my Twitter handle is at SoGoodReviews. And let's uh, throw it over to you. What is HangolCelluloid.com? What will people find when they go there? Be a salesperson, goddammit, now. People will find hopefully insightful rants on Korean cinema. HangolCelluloid.com specializes in Korean cinema and interviews with cast, crew, actors, actresses, etc. You can find me at HangolCelluloid.com. Please visit. I'm on Facebook at Facebook.com slash HangolCelluloid and Twitter at HangolCelluloid. Remember the name, you can find me really anywhere. Cool. It's a good name, though. I never really said that to you, but that's a good name for a website. Thanks very much. Are you going to cover that? Um, uh, because I heard a, uh, another podcast review it, not a favorable review, mind you, but it was a Hong Kong-Korean co-production called Bounty Hunters. It's a Korean director making it. Uh, are you going to cover that, or are you staying away from it just because it's uh, not purely Korean? Half and half. There, there was another Korean Hong Kong co-production that starred the wonderful Son Ye Jin a couple of, well, last year, I think. Good guys always die. And I considered doing it because of her, and I've sort of stayed away from it because of the Hong Kong aspect and the fact that it's rubbish. So, Which is not necessarily Hong Kong's fault. We're not trying to pin- pinpoint blame here. I just, uh, rem- no, just no, no, remember no. hearing that Bounty Hunters was sort of empty spectacle. 
Yeah, well, exactly. And, and essentially, good guys always dies almost exactly the same thing. It's it's very spectacular and it goes absolutely nowhere. Is the Korean director of Bounty Hunters is he known for completely different movies? Um, I assume it's a he. It's a he. Yeah, is he known for completely different movies in Korea or this is uh, his thing? Well, he's sort of the same sort of thing, but the Korean stuff he's done's better. And I don't know if that's because I'm biased or because he's left alone with something he understands rather than linking with Hong Kong, which he just doesn't. If I'm lost, I'll review it, but I've got a long, long, ever lengthening list of stuff I need to do and I want to do, so... Oh, well, it just uh, came to mind, because uh, I wonder if Paul keeps uh, track of this stuff. But uh, indeed you did. I very much do, and, you know, I am aware that I should maybe do it, and I just uh, shiver up your spine again. You just think, I... Uh. We're not near a home video um, release yet. The, the podcast East Screen, West Screen uh, reviewed it uh, somewhat close to when it played in cinemas. They, they usually watch the stuff in cinemas, so it's um, still a little bit ways off. But there you are. Uh, so uh, before we get going, let me give you a little bit of rundown of what's coming up on the show. Um, and timestamps for each section will be placed in the show post uh, for the episode on podcastonfire.com. And first we talk a little of the production background of the Aimless Bullet. Uh, that is then followed by a biography and discussion of director Yu Hyun Mok. And we conclude with a review of the Aimless Bullet. So uh, there's your sections. You can fast forward if, fast forward if you like. But uh, here we go. Aimless Bullet from 1960 and plot from the Korean Film Archive and it's slightly edited by me because they, they did a Wikipedia thing where they de- where they uh, described the whole movie. So so, so so I stopped at one point, right? Uh, so a lowly clerk at an accountant's office, the character of Yong Ho, played by Kim Jin Kyu, is the uh, head of a household that consists of his uh, mother who lost her sanity in the war and sporadically cries, Let's go! And uh, his extremely pregnant wife is also in the household, played by Moon Jong-suk, who is suffering from malnutrition. Um, His younger sister is there as well, who has become a prostitute for US soldiers. And his younger brother, Chil Ho, played by Choi Moo Ryong, is an unemployed war veteran. Unfortunately, his meager salary is barely enough to support his large family, and he doesn't even dare to go to the dentist, even though he suffers from a toothache. His brother, going back to Chil Ho, tries to overcome their desperate reality by planning a bank robbery, however. Dot, dot, dot. Uh, so yeah, background. We, we seem to encounter this a lot. The term uh, going up there on websites. The best Korean cinema movie ever made. And it's not like they are claiming that this is it. This is religion now. But it's people do like this movie. People do love this movie. It's called Aimless Bullet, uh, aka Stray Bullet. And the Korean title, uh, Obaltan, or something like that. I probably, stay, I probably butchered that. Do you know by any chance what that means? It just essentially means stray bullet, I guess. It's just Obaltan. It's more often known by that name rather than Aimless Bullet, to be honest. Well, they, they, on the print, there's all three titles. Uh, and I went with Aimless Bullet for no other reason, really, than other than uh, I wrote it first in my research. So there it is. But uh, if you go by the print, all all three titles are on there. So There's a quote uh, by uh, what I presume is a critic, uh, Lee Jong-il. Uh, about the film, uh, saying a film that marks the pinnacle of Korean realist cinema through its bold and unflinching depiction of a dead-end reality, end quote. And uh, the Korean Film Archive also called uh, Aimless Bullet the magnum opus of director Yo Hyun Mok, who is a living testament to Korean realist cinema. 
So uh, I'll, uh, as I always do, I, I, I throw over to Paul for some insightful uh, answers to my questions. Uh, so if we're being fair here, even before the movie review, uh, you know, uh, amidst the cinema landscape at this time that also included Flower and Hell, it was either just before or just after, is Aimless Bullet deserving of this status uh, even today? I think it is in some respects. I think it's an incredibly important film. We cover them these sort of films because they are important, because they changed Korean cinema. Which is a valid subject to bring up and to talk of, even if the movie might not be five out of five. So important is a key word for our discussions as well. You know, like you say, this greatest Korean film ever made is thrown about willy-nilly from 1936 to 2017. Oh, is it, is it going to be something like that next year as well? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. You can go almost, almost guarantee it. Just just wait till, you know, Bong Joon-ho's film after the next one comes. You know, et cetera, et cetera. I really rate the film. I think it's important. I think it's really well made. But there are a lot of Golden Age films or some Golden Age films that I would say constitute the best Korean film of that era ever made more. Yeah, maybe start somewhere else. I, I would actually agree with that. I, I mentioned Flower in Hell, and I think, I think that that, that one has stuck with me. It, it's a, it's a more, it's not as technically polished as Aimless Bullet is, uh, but it's stuck with me a lot more. Uh, Flower in Hell. I, I, if, I, if I had to admit that, but uh, that's not a bad thing. You, you know, we got quality across the board. It, it's not like we're talking. Someone saying best Korean movie ever, and we think they are turkeys. Not at all, not at all. It's a, it's all solid stuff. Yeah, totally. And I mean, when, before I read your the notes that you sent me, Flower and Hell had come to my mind along with The Housemaid and maybe even Insect Woman. So there are a lot of really good films. Aimless Bullet is important, and it is well made. And that's as far as I would go. I wouldn't say it's the greatest Korean film ever made. It changed Korean cinema. Maybe that makes it more important. I don't know. Right. Well, that's uh, also up to each and every viewer, of course. We are not here to uh, uh, provide a definite answer to that. But uh, but uh, there you are. It is noted for its bleak and downbeat depiction of Korean life post-armistice. How do you pronounce it? Armistice? Armistice? Yeah. Okay. And this would be the armistice that was signed on July 27, 1953. And it was designed to, quote, ensure a complete cessation of hostilities and all... and of all acts of armed force in Korea until a peaceful settlement is achieved in regards to the Korean War. And if I'm not mistaken, that's where we kind of are, right? There's not been an official, the Korean War is over. This is still the... No, we're we're still still essentially at war, and they're just not firing on each other. Exactly. So uh, because I remember Rufus told that back in the day that it's still ongoing. It's just this agreement that's uh, what's uh, keeping the sides from uh, engaging in full full blown out war, if you will. Uh, the Kofa website singled out uh, how the movie effectively represents uh, represents and represented the wounds left by the Korean War and how in a post war society char- characters strive for a better life but are defeated in the battle against reality, uh, which is both a story theme, a character theme, and um, really it's a, you can see it a little bit in the visuals as well. It's, a, it's very expressive in the visuals when you look at it, uh, as well as on a, on a story and character level. It was uh, budgeted at 8 million won, and the production was a joint financial venture between its director, its director of photography, and its lighting director. I, I baked in a question here. It, it, 
I'll say my note first, but the cast and crew worked for a minimum amount of pay, and due to budget shortages, production was stretched out to over uh, over a year, 13 months or so. And my notes were in all of this that I found that this actually had a star cost. Uh, would, that be, uh, would that be correct if we simplified? Yeah, pretty much. They got some actual uh, actual uh, recognizable uh, faces in there that worked for a minimum amount, minimum amount of pay, but uh, they were they they also sort of showed up. I think it's a uh, certainly a decently and uh, well performed uh, film, actually. So. Yeah, totally, totally. And as for its international acclaim, because it did uh, get that uh, fairly early in its life, an American consultant to the Korean National Film Production Center watched the film and persuaded the government to release it in Seoul in order for it to qualify to enter the San Francisco International Film Festival. It did, and director Yu Hyun Mok attended its premiere in San Francisco in 1963, so it's three years after the movie, uh, where the movie got critical acclaim, uh, quotes like a remarkable film with brilliantly detailed camera work and characterizations was uh, was uh, thrown its way. So I, I guess I was uh, curious that is there any way to determine if it would have found an audience in Korea or do you know if it did struggle to play due to its subject matter in South Korea? It, it massively struggled mainly because just at the point of its release it was banned by the government. The way it depicted Korea after the war, understandably, I guess. Right, right, right completely banned it and it was only when that american consultant saw the film and said we could get this screened internationally that they allowed it to be screened in seoul and i mean even back then the idea of getting western industry people interested in korean cinema almost outweighed all the oh this is terrible this is bad this is bad for korea etc etc and honestly the whole greatest Korean film ever made and the golden age thing I think a lot of it comes from the fact that it went to the San Francisco International Film Festival and Variety raved about it and you know it led just a couple of years later to the first Korean film being sold to the US which we will we will talk about I think a lot of that is why it's deemed so so phenomenal I think it it did it changed Korean cinema. It changed it brought Korean cinema to international audiences who had never really been aware that there was even a Korean cinema industry at all. I found some notes that it it was indeed released in Korea eventually in 1963, and on its third attempt, it uh, finally got got to play in front of uh, the public. Apparently, the second attempt uh, of a theatrical run was interrupted by the military regime that came, yeah, yeah. To, uh, came to power in um, in uh, May of uh, whatever year that was, when they tried to release it a second time. So so indeed, uh, I, probably it got wind in its sails for 1963 release based on the fact that it got claimed, uh, a claim uh, abroad and uh, Korean cinema was certainly not on the map, uh, the world map, uh, that is, uh, by that point. You know, and, and, and on top of that, when you think of it actually being shown in Korea, when you look at it, Yu Young Mok's other works, he was very much seen as a, a sort of a an art director, a very realist realism director, and his his audiences were never ever huge. He wasn't ever commercial until the seventies came along. So you know, even if it had been pushed up in front of every cinema you could get, I don't think it would have been all that because none of his films really were. 
Right on. Well, well. Speaking of uh, the uh, director, Yuhyeon Mok, uh, uh, sadly no longer with uh, no longer with us. He died of a stroke in 2009, uh, and he was born in 1925 in uh, Huanghei Haye Province, uh, which is now in which is now North Korea, actually. But he was not a straight to film business uh, type of character. You know, he wanted to focus on writing plays instead initially, but he did dabble in being assistant director, for instance, in 1946 for director Cho Jung-ho. And uh, I might as well throw over to, uh, to Paul. Is that a big director to uh, be uh, working for as an, uh, as an assistant director? Now, there's a question and a half. If you, if you try and research search Cho Jung-ho, you will find... Passing mentions to him all over the place in terms of Yu Hyung Mok and how respected he was. You try and find his films, you try and find his filmography, you try and find anything about him, and you're hitting an uphill struggle. All I can say is he was supposedly respected, but so many films disappeared. I assumed his from the 40s and 50s were the ones that no longer exist, so no one can actually say what they were like unless they were there to see them and you never know it could have been a it could have been a trash director too he could there is there is essentially no way to tell just he was respected that's all you can find out but uh, as for you he logged the first directing of his own via a short film called sea dragon uh, and uh, he formed the first major film group at the korean uh, university uh, uh, dubbed the film art organization and even added more assistant directing experience by working on uh, shin sang ok's feature debut evil night oh. uh, which uh, sounds uh, alluring just by uh, just by the title and shin sang ok we've talked of uh, a bunch of times uh, again flower in hell Leading up to uh, Pulgasari and the whole uh, and the whole uh, kidnapping or um, and uh, the the truths of the non-truths surrounding the kidnapping. Do you know, by the way, if the documentary is out yet that uh, they're producing about uh, the kidnapping by Kim Jong Il of Chin Sang Ok and his wife? I don't think so. I think it's on the edge of coming out. Um, there was there's a recent book that's been published on the same subject, and they were both meant to come out at the same time. So I'm assuming it's going to be very very soon. But I don't think it I don't think it's out yet. Uh, it, uh, the trailer made it look uh, like an easily uh, digested uh, doc and all of that, like uh, well made and uh, made with you know uh, good pace and a nice, a nice sense of purpose. So we'll see if it um, that uh, case gets some uh, more lights, uh, uh, light shown on it. I think they interview his wife in the movie, uh, Shin Sang Ok's wife. Yeah, no, the, the interviewer in the book as well. So it's it's a similar sort of thing. Uh, but as for uh, you, Hyun Mok, he debuted as a feature director uh, well into his 30s, actually, with uh, the movie called, in English, it's Crossroads. In Korean, it's Gyo Charo. Charo? Too much for me. Crossroads. Let's call it Crossroads. Let's call it Crossroads. <laughs> right on. And uh, four years later, he started the ball rolling that uh, sort of continues to this day in the eyes of some critics, uh, as uh, his movie Aimless Bullet has been uh, even voted in critics' polls as the be- best Korean film of all time. And uh, if anything is single out when looking back on uh, on, on Aimless Bullet, it is con- content and it is theme, as uh, you use the film to deal with social and political issues, uh, which is... I guess, I mean, 
even today to some extent where in global cinema to an extent it's the harder route to take if you want to make friends with uh, and uh, have a you know a box office oriented product <laughs> you know it's hard to make friends with producers and the government if you're making this kind of movie but it was certainly hard as Paul described in in the 60s and maybe even in the 70s because I remember filmmakers we've talked of in the past got movies banned as well so it, it seems like every decade has some kind of difficulty um, and uh, as Paul has also talked of before censors keep a you know a strict leash sometimes and sometimes to just let go even in contemporary times as we are now there's sometimes changes in how censors view movies sometimes to just let them go it's all fine sometimes yeah we're not gonna let that go that, that easy yeah, we're yeah. gonna go in cool. there and sort of have an opinion on things uh but uh you know going back to you uh was his movie output therefore very sparse because of that desire to highlight social issues and uh, getting at least one movie banned or do you know if it did mix and match genres and content in order to make a living he made a, a huge number of films. I've got his film. I printed out his filmography prior to this, and I've got three A4 pages. <laughs> right. <laughs> so he certainly wasn't held back in terms of making stuff. The vast majority, everything I've been aware of that I look at the titles, have all been of a similar deal to Aimless Bullet in that they're serious, they're... They they talk about career. They talk about issues. They they're not commercial films whatsoever. And it's only, I guess, the same as Kim Ki Young. Once the golden age started to fade, and it started, Korean cinema started to move to more commercial ideas. He sort of headed to that because there was no place for the films that he was was making. But you know, I mean, some of his earlier works, the daughters of pharmacist kim or kim's pharmacy is possibly my favorite of his films and it's it's dark it's very into social aspects in terms of women in korean cinema etc etc virtually everything he did was serious while he could be serious until he had to go and do other stuff that we will talk about shortly and uh, he kept on making films, uh, you know, in the 60s, uh, m- mixing a fairly steady output. I mean, fairly steady seems like an understatement, considering the amount of movies you just uh, you just sort of summarized, uh, three, eh, three pages long. Uh, but uh, he mixed all of that with teaching at the Dongguk University and also made a significant impact as an independent uh, filmmaker and producer, making, among other things, 1965's Martyr, which also became the first Korean film ever to be sold to the US and that sounds like a major event uh, really Massively, I mean yeah I mean what was it a more widely approachable genre film and therefore it made sense it was exported or what's the general uh, general deal going on with uh, martyr martyr was a story of anti-communism um it was about four, 14 clergymen are charged with being communists and are taken away only two survive, and the story's told through the eyes of the survivors. It was based on a story by a Korean-American called Richard Kim, and its whole anti-communist idea was deeply Western. So, you know, as soon as you hear it was sold to the US, you just think, well, yeah, because back then they, they kind of were anti-communist, and it really, it underlined everything that America was saying at the time. And you can just imagine them seeing it and thinking, yeah, Korea's with us. Let's get this released. 
it was again an important film because it opened up Korean cinema to international audiences. That selling that film was a huge thing, but it's because it had essentially American sentiment in Korean as its its subject matter. It spoke to the American film industry. Do you know if they sold it as? Um... The question is really, do you know if you played dubbed or only with subtitles? Uh, does anyone know that? Because, uh, you know, it's still a foreign film. As far as I'm aware, I've only seen mention of the fact that it was available dubbed, but I don't know if it was available with subtitles as well. I mean, things were quite different back then. So I'm, assu- I'm assuming it was just dubbed and that was the way it was. Does it exist, at least the Korean version of it? I can't find it at all. I've looked up for it for a fair while, so I'm assuming not. Which is also a shame when something so remarkable uh, in terms of an event uh, being sold to the US, the first movie. It must exist in some shape or form because every time they do a retrospective of Young Muck's works at festival after festival, they will always show Martyr along with Aimless Bullet. But in terms of members of the public getting hold of it, I think you're only going to be able to see it at festivals, at at specific screenings. Well, as the 70s started, you uh, established his own production company, simply called U Productions, and uh, also kept active in the community in a variety of ways. He formed the Korea Amateur Filmmakers Association in 1970, was elected chairman of the Korean Directors Association in 1974, was elected as a vice president or two vice president of the Motion Pictures Association in Korea the following year, and was also appointed full professor at Dongguk University in 1976. Uh, furthermore, we talk of the Korean Film Archive a lot. He was elected director in 1977 of the Korean Film Archive, as well as chairman of the Film Art Society of Korea in 1989. And uh, furthermore, to finish it all off, he then became dean of the Department of Arts at said university, Dongguk. He officially retired at the age of 65, but but continued to teach as honorary professor. He also published several books, The Development of Korean Cinema in 1980, Theory of International Film Directors in 1984, and he also wrote the cinema portion of the book History of Korean Theatre, Dance and Cinema in 1984. And we've talked of several profiles who lived and breathed movies and wanted to push Korean cinema in the right directions, but I don't think I've read of anyone involved to this extent, you know, he was uh, high up and everywhere and seemingly wanted wanted movies uh, to to flourish, you know. And, he, you know, is this a unique profile, therefore, in terms of getting so deeply involved in the arts? Uh, or who else would you put aside him as someone who you know, did all this and pushed the art as much as he did? I think it is fairly unique. But when I, when I read your question, two names came to mind. One is Kang Woo-suk, who was responsible for uh, the Public Enemy series, Two Cops, Fists of Legend, big director um, who has gone way out of his way to get smaller filmmakers getting their stuff online. I know you and I absolutely adore Castaway on the Moon without Kang Woo-suk financing the film, essentially, and pushing for it to be released. It would not exist. He's gone to great lengths. And another name, Yi Chang Dong, who made Secret Sunshine, Oasis, he's done exactly the same thing. He's he's gone into teaching. He's gone into writing about Korean cinema, trying to push it further and further and investing in smaller 
works that he feels are important, like A Girl at My Door from a couple of years ago, um, films that just would not see the light of day if it wasn't for these people. So, yes, he's unique in a way, but I'd, I'd put Kang Woo-suk and Yi Chang-dong in alongside him. Very good. It was very inspirational, especially when uh, older generation filmmakers uh, realize, even though it seems like it's such an easy realization to, well, let's breed new filmmakers, let's breed let's get him a spotlight totally. but, but it always warms my heart when something like that happens i mean over in hong kong you have andy lau and eric tsang working for to make sure smaller directors get exposure and it actually helped i mean eric tsang supported the career of um, a director called derek kwok in the beginning eventually he went on to co-direct a movie called gallants which is this wonderful uh, comedy but also uh, honor honoring old martial arts legends right and it also yeah. it went on to become the best movie uh, of the year at the Hong Kong Film Awards the following year so it really it really paid off that support for young talent and they had uh, they had a wonderful voice in them and without knowing it uh, you actually has a mild connection to I mean I have Korean cinema fandom but I have uh, also a, a, a different kind of sort of trashy Korean cinema fandom in terms of animated movies right he has a connection to Korean cinema's uh, anime industry if you will as he produced the 1976 animated film Robot Taekwon 5 released in the US as Voltar the Invincible <laughs> now I how it I haven't seen that but I've seen many of the low budget rip-off Korean anime, so rip-off of mostly Japanese properties, right? I've seen those because Hong Kong's Joseph Lai, the guy who produced many of these Richard Harrison cut-and-paste ninja movies, he picked up many of these Korean animes for international distribution and uh, dubbed them in English and all of that. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I've tasted Korean cinema in, in different, lot more trashy, more exploitation type of way. I mean, the, the one that stands out that for once didn't focus on ripping off something Japanese was, uh, oh God, I forgot the English title of it, but it's essentially a, a version of Tron. Oh yeah, I, I can't remember what it's called because either. Because all those titles are so similar. Protectors yeah, of Universe, like, Defenders totally. of Universe, Solar Disc, blah, God. and all of them contain robots that's, uh, that's, that's from Japanese anime. So. But uh, Ro- Robotech 1.5 is a little bit more, uh, bit more regarded because uh, it even received a full restoration in 2005. So it's, uh, it, was not, it was not something that Joseph Lai picked up, but uh, the whole robot thing, okay. That reminded me of Joseph Lai and all those trashy, trashy movies. Fun enough because all, nearly all of them were like seventy minutes long, so they're they're like in and out cinema in that way. But, mm. uh, have you ever uh, stumbled upon or wanted to stumble upon that Robot Tech One Five movie? I'm aware of it, and and like you say, there's a, a kind of an interest, but it is that whole trashy side where you just think mm, don't don't have the time. You know, at, at the end of the day, it got a restoration, which is great. But I think it got a restoration so that his work could be seen in retrospect. Well, if it has uh, if it has English subtitles, I'm going for it, and I'll let you know if it's any good. Do do let me know. <laughs> All right, uh, you directed his last film, uh, Mummy Star and Sea uh, Animone, Animone, in 1995. Uh, so that was uh, when he uh, stepped away from movies. Uh, his uh, work, as Paul alluded to, has been the subject of several retrospectives um, in the ni- 1990s, including at the Korean Film Archive in 1990 and at the Fourth uh, Busan International Film Festival in 1999. And in addition, his uh, works were presented along with that of uh, Shin Sang-ok and Im Kwon-tek in a special film series called Free Master Korean Filmmakers at the 
Museum of Modern Art in New York in 1996. So indeed, uh, it has a place internationally. It has a an audience and respect internationally. The work, uh, the work of uh, our director Yu Hyun Mok here. Very much. And the only thing I'd add to that is that in alongside him, Shin San Oak, in contact, I'd still put Kim Ki Young, and there've been some retrospectives of his work along with Yu Young Mok. So. You know, the the three or four of them more than just two or three. Sometimes it's hard to pick, I guess. <laughs> totally, totally. Uh, so right on, we're at the movie review uh, section here of Aimless Bullet. And uh, for my brief opinion, it feels a little bit like being on the outside and looking in. So I don't think I will ever be able to appreciate the mo- movie's emotional impact and realism. It seems a movie made for Korea, right? But on the whole, after settling into the movie language of the time, because it, it's... Certainly not like boom, boom, boom type of cinema. It's a decently affecting depiction of uh, struggles in a post-war society that is, for me, highlighted by a low-key but substantial uh, visual style. I kind of like how it felt uh, polished, in a way. But uh, that's my brief opinion. What do you think, in short, of uh, Aimless Bullet? I kind of agree with you. I I enjoy the way it was made and the way he... This is 1960, so very early on he's stepping away from that whole idea of two characters in a fixed room with a fixed camera. He moves it forward a, a great deal and that works for me. It's it's too long. I'm sorry, it's too yeah, long. Yeah, I watch it in two chunks uh, for probably for that reason. It's it's a 147-minute uh, movie, listeners. It's not a three-hour movie, but still, it's um, uh, yeah, it could be done and using 90 minutes as its length. Yeah, you know, I mean, that first section, I don't know, it, it gave me a feeling for what I thought the film would be and the film becomes something slightly different, an extension of it. Um, That first half hour could have well been cut down. We're aware that things weren't really good for them without having to show 300 people that things weren't good for. Yeah, there's a lot of misery, uh, misery for 107 minutes, uh, that's for sure. You know, and the only other thing I will say that the main the main male character, the one with the two toothaches, I find him quite frustrating, which pulled me away a little bit. You know, you just think, oh, for God's sake, that's my opinion. Very important, but too long, and I didn't warm to the characters as much as I would with normal Golden Age films. Which is very fair. I mean, I understood the predicament, but uh, there's certainly... You know, I wasn't emotionally affected. I was sitting there sort of trying to see if all these themes and emotions reaches me. Do I have an understanding as a Westerner not having lived through this era? Uh, but uh, regardless, I, I, we'll go back to style a little bit. Well, do you remember any movies around this time that in Korea that you know wanted to film with epic film with epic scope and sweeping shots? So around this time was more mostly more movie shot, for lack of a better word, more in a plain manner, a straight manner? Uh, oh, it, it was very plain, it was very straight. I mean, Flower in Hell is near nigh on a documentary, for instance, because it, it, it's sort of half-faced. They like stole shots of actual stuff, but it is, you know, it, it's almost a fixed camera sometimes. Uh, yeah, capturing. totally, and I mean, I, that was the whole thing. I mean, if you, if you look back to things like The Housemaid, which was 1960 as well, it's one of the few that I would say stepped forward a little bit, and it's yeah. still characters in a room with steady cameras quite a bit of the time so this you know in terms of cinematically the aimless bullet is a big step forward it's it's a change and i think that again is something as to why it's you know considered so monumental 
Do you think uh, Western influences fed into uh, movies like Aimless Bullet and even uh, The Housemaid, uh, you know, considering they surely got play? And they sort of saw, oh, yeah, that's a that's a neat little thing. I'll put that in my movie. Yeah, I think in terms of film style, very much so. You know, at this point, Korean cinema was starting to have to compete with American cinema changes to the, the laws of what had to be shown, how many foreign things had to be shown, how many Korean things. So it had a huge effect. It didn't have the effect that the new Korean cinema wave had when new directors came in, having been schooled abroad, but certainly er, this early on, it was an effect. And I think that effect can be seen in Aimless Bullet. And I didn't really, I, I have never seen the movie before. Uh, when Paul brings these movies up, I don't uh, watch them once or twice before and then do my research or even read a plot summary sometimes it's nice sometimes to go in without hype or okay i read that it's the best korean movie ever that's a lot to live up to but yeah for all intents and purposes i still didn't know anything about what was going on and uh, it took a while for me to get into the groove of the movie and also understand what it was trying to push and there's always that fear because i'm super stupid paul right you know that. You don't even need to say yes. Your silence. Uh, no, the rub- rubbish, rubbish. <laughs> but I didn't know, it's a jokey or sort of cheeky way of saying, I didn't know if this was going to talk to me, this movie, right? Because it might be so local and so the dramatical impact yeah, yeah. could only be felt by a Korean person. I don't know. I, I fear these things sometimes. But you, you just watch the movie, settle into the groove of it. Hopefully it starts feeding you information and you don't need to know about the Korean War or any post-war agreement you just sort of get that these are army men they, they are they are sort of fed up with how the army has treated them they, they have a strong brotherhood a couple of these characters and they pre- probably perform very well in terms of their duties in war some of them uh, got out of it uh, being injured you know being crippled or having uh, shrapnel in them and stuff and and there is a sense of this being very on the nose too, but I like I don't want to blame the movie for that. But they, at one point they are singing drunkenly, you know, all our friends dead and forgotten, and they, they all feel discarded and all of that. So this is how you treat your war heroes type of template. But you know, still, uh, what's your view on that? Does it present a you know a, a valid? And, and a good view of how, at least cinematically, how society could have been, would have been at this time? I think it gives a decent depiction of it. I don't know if it's a good depiction. To my mind, he spends an awful lot of time really underlining, look how bad it is for these, look at how bad, oh, look, there's a guy with a hook for a hand and he's smiling. It, it struck me as being almost forced to the point that it didn't need to be you're pretty much aware within 10 minutes of seeing a character on two crutches who's having a hard time that that's what the main deal of the start of the film is. I think he pushes it a little bit too far. Yeah, there's a couple of a couple of one or two layers that could have been peeled off and we still, and, and not layers, maybe um, scenes or uh, sections of the script where, because we get it after one point. It's certainly, this is tough. And we we are not thinking that's feeble uh, for it, but uh, you're, you're right. There is a sense of this being going on repeat almost in some in some uh, shape or form. I mean, it gets a little bit better when it settles into what the actual plot is driving towards, which was sort of my question all throughout. I don't see a plot drive yet, but I have patience for for it, and I'm doing it for work anyway. I'm gonna get through it. But it took a good forty five minutes before 
some characters even attempting to, okay, what if we tried this? And that's the bank robbery thing. So. And, you know, from, from my point of view, that's one of the biggest problems. I mean, we, I rewatched it because of this podcast. You watched it because of this podcast. Anybody coming to it normally, whether they'd last through that point to the discussion of the bank robbery raises a question in my head. I yeah. mean, and the fact of the matter is, if you look at, I know you watched it in two chunks, but if you watch it as one go, it feels like two different films. Once the the bank robbery is decided, the film is fast paced. It's really brisk and together, and it really sits at odds with the look. Here's another person having a bad time post Korean War that just went on and on and on in the early stages. It feels jarred to me, which every critic who says this is the best Korean film ever made will disagree with, but it's my it's my thoughts, you know. Yeah, I, I think it is valid, because uh, I, I, I sort of felt that way too. I mean, you, one part of you has to get used to the straight film language. I mean, it is with we, we style. I, I can bring up this note. Why I think it's visually interesting is that, yes, it looks like it's just shot, but you is and his cinematographer are very clever in how they both light certain scenes but uh, there is a certain uh, the camera is there to move with certain scenes meaning like a slow dolly through the scene just to make it a little bit more interesting a little bit more technically honed and i appreciated that so there is a low hum to the movie language for sure this is this is an old film but um, there is also that technical polish uh, that you know would be a little bit better served if this movie ever got up if they ever could strike a print that they can then remaster uh, it yeah, would have yeah, been a little yeah. bit uh, better showcased uh, this is a print that has a lot of like flicker throughout like so, some light scenes go totally dark and uh, but, but it is uh, obviously it's an old print so an old dupe of a festival print but uh, yeah and i mean I, I don't know if it was the same for the version you watched but on the the coffer version there is about two minutes that loses sound completely you know, when I was getting through the movie, I, I thought like the hum, the, the low hum of the movie language could work for the movie as the accountant just, just goes about his day trying to make the family unit work and provide. And But this is the in the early stages. It's not yet overstated. And even dialogue like um, in the retranslated subtitles anyway, that one of the characters has with the character who's crippled now from the war. I, I thought could set the stage for something very effective because he said, how can I live only half a dream, you know, dream of uh, dream in a half type of way with only half a body to live in? And that seems like it's on the nose, but I thought that was, oh, yeah, well, get that drama going. But but as you said, there's a little bit more, it doesn't uh, break out dramatically for yeah. me as such. It seems a little bit stuck in, these are my thoughts and let's repeat them for a little bit and uh, and uh, emphasize that things are bad and i'm sure things were bad i'm not saying this is a an invalid way of thinking uh, and again i feel like i might be a little bit on the outside looking in and uh, so i'm not uh, going to judge if this is an incomplete and ill depiction of post-war korean society i tend to agree and i have a feeling that the fact that it got banned the fact that the government was so against it sort of almost underlines that maybe it's closer to the truth than we'd maybe like to think. 
some further just minor um, minor bits that I personally liked. Uh, again, the, the script comes to life nicely in, in certain sections where the characters ventures uh, uh, vents frustration. The, at one point, the Yong Ho character, the guy who I write, who I wrote in my notes really naively, the guy, the cool guy with cigarettes. Oh <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, at one point, he is. Uh, they say that oh, you should appear in movies, man, because uh, you, you you're a war hero. You were injured. And he gets, um, you, you never see this, but uh, I, I, if I understood correctly, he uh, he was scarred, right? So he, maybe he was yeah. shot, he had shrapnel in him. And they wanted to show that in the movies, man, because art imitates life. We should put your life in art. And in, he, he's very truthful and very correct in his uh, anger at the director, saying that this is essentially is pure exploitation. I'd never do this. What are you talking about? Like, uh, this is real. So uh, I, I thought that also... That's a theme that spoke to me. That that's very recognizable. That like, of course he should be angry at that. Like the situation can't be that desperate, where he's gonna put his body on the line that way. You know, for uh, for the world to see. It was hard though to single out characters uh, who, you know, you got the accountant, but uh, they they had this entire group, uh, maybe the past army unit. Occasionally they meet and drink together and things like that. So for a while it seemed like a way to packed character gallery. Yeah, totally. uh, it was only when it started to focus in on what's going to happen to the family that okay, I know which characters I can discard now, but it. It, it's a little, it's a little bit shaky in terms of its true focus. It's a, a straight line to a plot. Isn't necessarily straight. It's a little bit goes here and here and here and up and down and to the side. And now we're at the bank robbery thingy. And was that a genuine problem for you, just to bring that back? That uh, that there was no, ma- that 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 there was no main plot drive until. Uh, until late was that the thing that should, should that been ha, have been established way earlier totally totally and you know i mean from the very outset in hindsight you're aware that the accountant character is one of the main couple in the early stages there are so many that you just you don't know which he's going to focus on if he's going to focus on any and it almost you know i've seen it three four five times and still, it sort of makes me go, ah. So I, I had a bit of a problem with that. I mean, on a completely separate thing, the biggest pulls in this film for me involved the actress character, Mary, I think her name was, flashing a little bit of thigh in, you know, censored 1960s that made me go, oh, that's a bit much. And the, the other female character who hangs out with the bank robber guy, with the two of them lighting a cigarette off each other. That, yeah, I was thinking of that. Oh, that's the closest they're going to come to kissing in 1960. <laughs> and it actually, it, it is almost, you know, emotional, the way those two cigarettes join and they linger there for a couple of minutes. I mean, that that was the image that stuck with me. So it's got a lot going for it in terms of things he's done to get away with other things that, censors otherwise wouldn't have allowed it's a little bit too also pardon me it's a little bit too sketchy in terms of it wants so many characters but it feels a little bit like snapshots of their misery so you, you can't really su- superbly connect to the actress for instance who on the surface is just enjoying the glamour this is super awesome 
But, you know, she uh, at one point she shows uh, the character of Yong Ho that she has a gun in her apartment and she vents her misery. And all of that is genuine, I'm sure. And an audience would have felt that this, I, I know someone who feels this way. But uh, for the cinematic experience, it's a little bit like yet another, as you've alluded to, that feels this, albeit valid, uh, pessimism. But um, you, 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 you can overstate certain things. Totally, and you're not really given enough time to connect to those other characters. I mean, that that female character with the gun seemed really interesting to me, but I didn't get to know her because it was so short. It was so, as you say, snapshot. So is their connection as well. Uh, yeah. yeah. Because they, they they do have some even more intimate scenes. I think it looks like he is kissing her, but they, they darken the scene. So... I don't think they actually kiss at one point. So they're using some clever visual techniques. But when a whole bank robbery comes to fruition in the movie, the thing gets stronger because you're thinking to yourself, it can't represent a 100% turnaround for these characters into positivity and joy in life. This is, mm. you know, the tight, it's sort of, is in the title, of course. Aimless bullet, stray bullet. I responded to that once it got going uh, with the bank robbery and the chase, and uh, and d- despite being super dark and pessimistic towards the end, I won't spoil it. But uh, there's, for instance, uh, when you hear an off-screen shot being fired, it's uh, when the bank robbery robbery starts. I-, I love that beat because it's a loud beat. You cut to characters reacting to it, and the sh- it's a shock and surprise within that beat of the bank robbery going on. Yeah. It looks simple enough, simple cinematic language, but uh, I'll, I'll still like how that sort of kick-started uh, the movie and what clearly will be a feeble attempt of turning one's life around because he has the cops after him in a minute, so it's not like this was done under the radar. I mean, for heaven's sake, it's not even masked when he does it. You yeah, know? Totally. <laughs> he leaves, you know, they can they can see who it was. And he dresses the same way he always dresses, uh, the character of Yong Ho being the suave and cool guy who smokes. It's affecting enough that feel of even characters, uh, you know, even post-robbery, talk themselves into that breaking the law could have been my ticket in. Uh, or out, as it were. And uh, it, it's affecting enough by that sort of last third of the movie, but but I wouldn't say it's stuck with me in, in that way. I was uh, The last third contains some, you know, skill, train of thought, combined with the visual skill that the movie now displays because it has, it has action and a more play with uh, settings you know there's a couple of different settings in a factory for instance Uh, but uh, that whole pain that then continues all throughout the last 20 minutes is a long long road down uh, some very Very unfair pain it's certainly iconic I can see that but the movie hasn't set that set up itself well enough for that to be thoroughly impactful but in, impactful per definition i'd say it is based on that last third in particular or what do you think I totally agree and i mean in terms of the whole idea behind the film there there is a i guess a, an old character woman with i suppose dementia who throughout the film all she says is you know let's get out of here let's get out of here let's get out of here and it's it's the same thing for me by the time i was halfway through i just wanted her to shut up it was you know and and her statement is ultimately deeply important and it becomes worthwhile eventually but it's the same thing you just go through it thinking this is just a little bit too overwrought a little bit too heavy-handed yeah and that's 
you know, my problems with Aimless Bullet were the early stages rather than the later stages. If you have an interest in important movies, totally get it, but uh, or seek it out because you can watch it for free legally, as we'll t- tell you off in a little a little bit. But uh, there are a couple of directors above this version of of uh, you and their movies around this time that just it, it's gonna pop more yeah. for you and 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 i think you're, you're very right i mean i haven't seen much of the golden age but if you go with the housemaid and flower in hell first to get a feel of what it was like around 1960 and that decade then you're gonna get uh, a nice in i think to korean cinema of this time i'd go even further and say if you do go to the coffee youtube channel search out directors rather than films search out shin san oak search out kim ki young and they'll give you a much more accessible version of Golden Age cinema, which you can then follow up with things like Aimless Bullet. And even uh, Barefooted Youth. Yes, very uh, much, very uh, much, like yeah. To, to watch a little youth movie of, uh, of a certain sort. So, um, yeah. Uh, but uh, I'm very glad that you showed me this. I was glad I got something out of it because I was sort of afraid that this is going to be too local which is not the movie's fault it's uh, it's uh it's sleazy k's fault here right <laughs> i mean he's pornography that he's usually feeding himself with but uh it's um the, the impact is more visual that the, the, there's some imagery here that yeah. stick with me and some of the themes combine themes combined with that imagery certainly super super valid uh but uh out of the golden age movies i've seen it can't sit on the same throne as best move, Korean movie of all time, in my opinion. I think uh, it's a little bit uh, further down the list. So glad to be able to say I wholeheartedly agree with you. Do you have that uh, that a uh, that filmography in front of you? How many movies were, had he done by this point? I mean, five, two, three, or even ten? It seemed like it was a fairly early movie, if I remember correctly. One, two, three, four, five, six. He had done six before. So considering he didn't done so much, still early on in his development, and yeah, very much, and he wasn't done developing. Clearly, seeing as you have found some movies that you think are better. Yeah, well, I mean, the daughters of pharmacist Kim, as I mentioned, which I think on Coffee as well, and it is worth a look. Was sort of three years down the line. Martyr was sort of five years down the line after Aimless Bullet. So I think he was still finding his his place and I think Aimless Bullet just has hit very lucky with critics around the world and got a reputation because of it. But I have uh, depleted all my notes my friend, do you want to say anything else before we do the availability? I'm pretty much there Um, I know how important it is, it's just not as important to me as other films are Robot Tech 1.5 next here we go, maybe you'll like that more Maybe so Certainly, if it's a little bit shorter than two hours, I'll love it. And and you'd think you'd be desensitized to the whole thing of uh, running time. You'd think, like, 107 mi- seven minutes, it's a short movie, for heaven's sake. Oh, this is, it'll be done in a, you know, like, New York minutes, but... Never, never, ever happens. There's always either, oh, I, I loved that, even though it was nearly three hours long, or, yeah, it was two hours long, and it was about 45 minutes too long. Well, as for availability, uh, to repeat some info, currently available to watch for free with English subtitles at the official Korean Film Archive channel, and we'll link directly to it. I don't know, Paul alluded to that festivals do show 
prints of his movies, uh, but I don't know what the current status is in terms of the original print for this one, if it is indeed lost, and maybe in the future someone will find something. But what you can watch is a festival print on the Kofa channel that has burned in English subtitles, and it's not the original print either, it's a dupe of it, so even the original print of the festival print with English subtitles, that is lost too. But but it is stable enough as a print, uh, some lights... Uh, uh, lighter scenes flicker and uh, go to dark uh, and uh, then comes back uh, the sound uh, drops off uh, at uh, at a point or two points and uh, there is the expected print damage but it is totally watchable I mean um, even the gritty look of the print could work for some scenes you know but uh, hopefully there is something found in the future that uh, could go through another round of uh, remastering and uh, so it can get a, another uh, another disc release because uh, the Co- the Kofa disc release was based on this print as well. Uh, there's also a US DVD using the same uh, print, but it has optional English subtitles that will go over the burned in ones. The burned in ones sometimes I think um, get lost in uh, scenes that uh, use that are white. It's a black and white movie, but uh, scenes that are bright, and the translation isn't always grammatically super correct. So the new tra- new translation. Uh, uh, shapes the movie a, li- a little bit compared to the old subtitles. So that's uh, that's that. Uh, next time, meaning next week for you listeners, we fast forward to a 2003 classic based on a sad true life criminal case. And it's depicted with realism and some humor, strangely enough. And that is uh, Bong Joon Ho's Memories of Murder from uh, 03. So we'll uh, take a look back on that. I saw it seven or eight years ago, rented it liked it but i had forgotten a fair amount of it so uh for all intents and purposes most of it felt like a new watch which uh which was nice and all of that so uh, uh take a look back at his movie and uh, look back at the uh, bong john ho's uh, career because uh, even i know of this director's uh, movies because he is uh, he's prolific massively and uh, deservedly so based on memories of murder alone but we'll go through the history of him and uh, some of the films uh, because uh, I don't think Paul you I don't think you missed any of Bong Joon Ho's uh, completed movies right you've seen everyone I've seen everyone I own everyone I'm a big Bong Joon Ho fan well next week that is uh, so uh, Memories of Murder uh, uh, still uh, sort of per definition new wave Korean movies still in that those first few years of like oh my god it's not stopping Korean cinema, you know, uh, Park Chan-wook and all of these new directors, Kim Ji-woon and boom, Bong Joon-ho as well. Memories of Murder, my God. Sad movie. Awesome. <laughs> Sad. Fabulous. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's that's it for this episode. This has been What's Korean Cinema on the Podcast on Fire Network. We are available on podcastonfire.com along with all our other shows and bonus episodes posted every now and again exclusively for the website. If you have any questions or feedback, like what do you think is the best Korean movie of all time, let us know. Podcast on Fire at googlemail.com. You can also uh, chat with us over on social media. Follow the hand. Follow us to our social media via the handy buttons at the top of our website uh, we are on facebook and on twitter you can find us on itunes as well rate uh, us subscribe to us leave a written comment about korean cinema or what you think of other shows on the network and you can also stream us on stitcher radio uh, we have a link to their website presence but you can also stream our shows via their application available on the apple app store and google play and I write about mostly Hong Kong and Taiwanese movies of a variety of uh, genres, uh, mostly uh, leaning towards exploitation and the likes over at SoGoodReviews.com. My small video, basic video reviews are available on SleazyKVideo.com and my Twitter 
and all my nonsense is at so good reviews. So finally, 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 the final plug, but not the le- not the lesser of the plugs, uh, goes to you, Paul. So where are you on the web? I am at hangelcellulite.com, where you'll find Korean film reviews and interviews. I'm on Facebook at facebook.com slash hangelcellulite, and I'm on Twitter at, at hangelcellulite. Have a look, see what you think. Excellent. Well, all those links, uh, including yours, will be posted in the show post. And for now, let's sign off. I've been Kennedy. And wait for me to discuss uh, what we deem to be not the best Korean movie of all time, but good enough, was Paul Quinn of Hangul Celluloid. So stay by, buddy. See you later, guys.